The following lesson is brought to you by the Church of Christ on McDermott Road. Okay, let's pray. Most Holy Father, we are incredibly thankful for another opportunity to gather together. Father, we are thankful for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself and your son and your spirit and your will, your kingdom through the written word that we may know you, that we may know more of ourselves and that we may surrender and submit to you in a better way. Father, help us to have a greater understanding. Help us, Father, to seek to not only know your will, but especially to be doers of your will. Father, thank you for everyone that's gathered here tonight. We pray that you bless our time together. We pray that you are glorified and that we are edified. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Okay. I wrote a phrase up here. Now, I... I assume some people probably say spitting image, but where I came from, we always said spitting image. And I was curious where that phrase came from one time, um, and I was really surprised. Anybody know where it came from, what it means? Yeah, we know what it means, right? We know what it means. What's that? Anybody? It actually means spirit. It's probably and, but in, spirit and image. And so when somebody says, you are the spirit and image of your father, or you're the spirit and image of your mother, uh, what do they mean? Yeah, well, they, they, well when, we, when we say that, we, we've kind of changed the meaning, haven't we? When we say you're the spit and image of your father, we for whatever spitting means, I don't know what we think that means, but, but we, we mean that you look like them, right? The original phrase actually meant much more than that, right? You, you aren't just the image of your father, you are the spirit and image of your father. We mean you are the same as them on the inside and on the outside. You are the spirit and the image of of your parents. And so it's just kind of funny how that's changed over time, but I think that that applies because of what we're going to talk about tonight in talking about the human spirit in Greek, pneuma, or just pneuma, if you want to leave the P completely off, pneuma or pneuma. Okay, what does that, but before we review, what does that word look like? Pneumatic, somebody else said pneumonia. Okay, what you already know about spirit, does that make sense? Yes. In fact, when you even think about the word spirit and you think of um, uh, inspire, we've talked about some of those, perspire? Uh, no, maybe not. Uh, we, we've talked about some of those spirit words before, but breath, wind. So we'll talk more about that in a second. But let's review for those that haven't been here or for those of us that have slept since then. Um, number one, a human being is someone who came from the earth, right, from the ground. Um, in fact, that's, you know, Adam and the word for ground are very similar. So um, human beings came from the ground or the earth or from the dirt. And the implication seems to be usually when that's talked about is that means that we are what? We're human. Yeah, absolutely. We are created. We are mortal, right? That we're from the dust and we'll return to the dust. So our mortality um, is tied to the fact that we are, we are from the earth and we will return to the earth, okay? So um, the fact that we are created from the earth 
is an implication that we are mortal. At least that's how it seems to be referred to several times in the Old Testament. Number two, God formed us out of the earth and then he breathed into mankind, right? And we became a living being or soul, right? Soul means being, right? So I like the word soul. We came from the earth and therefore we're mortal um, and we are a living soul. We are a living soul. Again, we've talked about before that it's, it's possible to say we have a soul, um, but it's also more fundamental to understand that we are a soul. We are a living being. In fact, somebody said um, once in this class, and, and I've been thinking about this phrase um, since, we, since it was said, and I was just trying to put my finger on it. Somebody said that, um, that soul is the me that you can't see, okay? Um, I, I wasn't going to tell them who said it. Uh, but, uh, but, but, and, and I think that, that there's a part of that that's true, because sometimes when we talk about soul, we talk about from the deepest core of us. But I would say the kind of the problem with the way we tend to think of soul um, is that there's not necessarily anything that implies invisibility or unseenness with the idea of a soul. Okay, so when we think of soul, we tend to think of the me that we can't see. But when the Bible refers to soul, it's usually talking about our life. Our living in the body, being a living being, right? And so there's nothing necessarily that's tied to not being able to see or being invisible or the, you know, um, unseen part of us, okay? So when we talk about soul, we really are talking about me. We're talking about individuality. We're talking about a living self. That's what a soul is. It is a living self. Uh, you are a soul, you have a life, you have a living self. And so um, you could talk about your soul as something that you have, you have life, uh, you have existence, you have individuality. Uh, so all those, you know, when you say from the core of me, uh, you're talking about from, from my very depths, the depths of my being. So you are a living soul or a living being. Uh, some, King James even translates it as what? Became a living yeah, well, that's the Hebrew word, right? The nephesh. You became a living nephesh. But what's the, what does the King James say there? Creature, right? I think, doesn't it? Creature. You became a living creature. Um, and and it's, that's consistent, right? Because when the Bible talks about the other living creatures, living beings, they also are nephesh, right? They are also uh, living beings. Uh, we are a different kind of soul, though. We are a different kind of being. Um, and our uniqueness is because he or she, male or female, bears God's image. image, right? That's what makes human beings unique. That's what makes murder wrong. Um, that makes what makes murder uh, the greatest crime against God's creation because we are killing a image bearer of God, right? Um, it, is, it is worse than when we think of the things that bear the image of our nation, like a flag, right? That's something that bears the image of our country or like an idolater would think of a statue bearing the image of his God. Uh, God's image bearers are us. Um, and, and so when human beings reach the peak of their wickedness, they are hurting and abusing and um, 
killing image bearers of God. So that's what makes people unique is that we are God's image bearers. That's what sets us apart. And when we talk about image bearing, uh, we're talking about royalty, right? We're talking about being God's royal overseers over his creation, his co-regents, so to speak. Uh, of course, we messed that up right in the beginning through sin, but um, we won't go into that too far. Number four, so a human being came from the earth and is mortal, uh, is a living soul, is unique because he or she bears God's image. Number four, is driven and animated, I love that word, is driven and animated by his or her spirit, right? His or her spirit. Uh, it, it's a metaphor, right? Spirit is a metaphor. Um, the, the most basic meaning of spirit is what? We've said it already. Wind or breath, right? And just like your, your body is animated by your physical breath, your behavior, your attitudes, your life is driven and animated by your spirit. Um, and so the, the Hebrew word being ruach, right? Ruach. Okay, um, so is driven and animated by his or her spirit. Number five, um, has thoughts, desires, and feelings in his or her heart, right? Heart. Just like we have a literal idea of the heart and a metaphorical idea of the heart, the Hebrews had a literal idea of the heart and also as a metaphor to say the seat of my thoughts, desires, intentions, um, that's my heart. So you can see, again, as we've said several times, there's overlap between what the spirit is or does and between what the heart is or does. As we get into the New Testament, we introduce, uh, we may talk about this some too, but we'll probably run out of time, but we also introduce the idea of the mind, right? So there's both the heart and the mind. In the Hebrew world, in the Old Testament way of talking, there that, that wasn't really a concept. It was really the heart, right? They didn't talk about the brain or anything like that um, as a metaphor. Uh, so the, the thoughts, the learning, the wisdom that Proverbs talks about happens in your heart. Uh, so you have your heart, you have your spirit, you are an image bearer of God, you are a living soul, and because you came from the dirt, you are mortal, and your body is decaying, right? What was the only thing that kept us from decaying and dying. Well, what was the only thing that kept us from dying, that prevented us from dying? The tree of life, right? Access to the tree of life. And that was cut off because of sin, rebellion. That's, and I, I think the best idea of that punishment is banishment, right? That's what happened to Adam and Eve. They were banished from the garden. They were banished from life, right? They were banished from the tree of life. They were cut off from the tree of life. But in Christ Jesus, our access, and you read through the book of Revelation, that's what we read, that our access to the tree of life has been restored, right? And so our soul, our being, um, is going to be saved, is being saved, was saved, however you want to put it. Um, the Bible talks about salvation in a, um, you know, one time that we're saved, when we became Christians, that we're being saved, and that we will be saved when Jesus returns. So when he returns, we will be resurrected, and our lives, our being, our soul will be saved. Ready? I guess maybe 
strange is not the right word, but he didn't say with all of your spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Because, and, and I think that that's exactly... Yes, and I, and I think that, I think the way I would put that, and, and I, I think, I hope, what we're picking up on, at least my impression, okay, so I'm just going to kind of pull back the curtain and just tell you my impression from reading through the Bible, is my impression is that it's best to look at the human person, the human existence, in a whole, as a whole. We have a tendency to kind of, divide things up. We think about things scientifically, right? We think about things like, okay, you take this part over here and you put it over here. You take this part over there and you put it over there. You take this part and you put it over there. We kind of tend to portion things out. Um, Whereas it seems to me that when the Bible talks about these different parts, and again, I've kind of mentioned subtly a few times, I don't really like that idea of parts. It's more like aspects. We are thinking beings, right? We are also feeling beings. We are animated beings. We are, we are decaying beings. Um, and so all of those aspects of us are like the whole of us seen from a different view, right? It's not, you know, you divide it up and you say, well, this is this part of you and this is this part of you. That, that's kind of more our way of thinking uh, that we're kind of, I think, putting onto the text. But when the Bible talks about, you know, uh, us as a being with a heart, that is us with a, a feeling aspect, that we are, we are a being that has desires. Um, when it talks about us with the, the nous, the Greek uh, for mind, uh, we are logical beings, we are thinking beings, we're reasonable beings. Um, but we'll get into talking about flesh and how Paul uses the word sarks. You know, so we are, we are beings of corruptibility. We are beings that um, are susceptible to corruption and decay. Uh, And so it's talking about the human existence from different angles and different perspectives. And I think that's helpful. And so when we talk about spirit, what we're talking about is not not just a portion of us. I think we'll kind of get into that a little bit tonight as we kind of transition in the New Testament. But it's really that which drives us, that which, which pushes us on. And so I think what the, um, what, uh, the Shema is saying, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength or mind and strength, however you want to put that, um, is to love God with your whole self, right? Again, I, I think that the best way to think about the human existence is to think about us holistically, Rather than um, in a dualism, dualistic type of a way, it's better to think of us as a whole being because we really are, right? And when we really start to think about our existence and we really start to think about our behavior and we start to think about our experiences, it's really hard to say, well, was that really emotion or was that really thought? You know, was I thinking or was I feeling? It's really hard. I mean, there's parts of it that we can kind of, after the fact, kind of split things down and say, okay, I think that was more I was feeling rather than thinking. I wasn't being logical enough. And that's, that's helpful. But the way that the Bible talks about it is that we take all of us, our, our behavior, our thoughts, our emotions, everything, and we just package it together and say, God, it's yours. Everything that I am, everything that I feel, everything that I think, my drivenness, I give to you. And I trust you that even though I'm dying and I'm going to die, that you're going to give me back a new life, right? 
Um, and, I, and I think and that, that's very much a mystery in the Old Testament. Um, in fact, uh, on Sunday morning, we're going to be talking about Psalm 6. And uh, the psalmist says, he says, you know, save my life because if I die and go to Sheol, if I go to the realm of the dead, there, there's no understanding there and, and, there. and I won't be able to praise you there, right? Um, so it's, it's a mystery. Where, where do I go? What happens when a person dies? Um, if, if I'm cut off from the land of the living, will I still know you? Will I still understand? Will I still be able to praise you? As we transition into the New Testament, more of who God is and more of God's plan is revealed to us. Um, but at the, at the bottom line is we don't know a lot of things, right? There's still a lot that we don't know. So we trust and we surrender ourselves to God, our whole selves to God. And, we, and, and really, we have a tendency, and I think, I think the Greeks had a tendency to think of themselves and think of existence and just stop there, right? And just think about it, right? Just sit around and just think about it and just think about thinking and think about why do we think and analyze, how do I know I really exist and do I really exist and I think, therefore I am. And you know, so all of this philosophy and things is, seems to me to be very different than the biblical way of being and living because it it's, it's ties the whole being together and it's as much, if not more, about what you do. Right? And that is driven by what is inside of you. But it's a, it's, a, it's a thinking and a doing. And that's why I think James is almost a book that explains to people that have a tendency to sit around and be philosophers that you, you can say you have faith and you can say you have love and you can say you have wisdom, but get to work and show it because all of this sitting around and saying you have it means nothing. It's dead. It's just like a spirit without a body or a body without a spirit. It's dead, right? Um, and so you need to get to work and you need to do, not just think, not just feel, but do, because you are a doing being. So it's, it's worthless to say, well, this is how I think. I don't really act that way. And the Bible would say, eh, then it's not really how you think, right? This is how I feel. It's not really how I act, though. No, no, no. Then it's not really how you feel because you do what, what, is, what you're driven to do, right? And so when we are in line with God, um, then we do what's right. And, and the Old Testament would tell us that our actions aren't in spite of the fact that we have a good heart, right? We, we tend to talk like that, don't we? We tend to say, well, you know, I know I do a lot of bad stuff, but God knows my heart, right? As if, as if our actions are not connected to our heart, right? As if our actions have nothing to do with who we are on the inside. But the Bible would say, no, 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 no. You're acting out of your heart. You're acting out of your spirit. Your spirit is perverse and your heart is wicked and it devises evil things. And so what you need is a heart and spirit transplant, right? You need, you need a new heart, a heart of flesh to be given to you. And you need a, an upright spirit to be restored in you, right? And so it, it's, it's all so intricately tied together that the more we try to run a, a, a dividing line between the two, the more we end up living a duplicitous life and the more we end up fooling ourselves, the more we end up saying, well, I really am good on the inside. I just, my actions just don't show it. Well, that's just not how the Bible talks about it. Uh, the, the Bible talks about it and I think it's, it lines up better with our true experiences that uh, we do what's in our heart and that when, when we're given a new heart and, an, and the Holy Spirit uh, is in us, we're driven on to do Good, better things. Okay, so let's, uh, let's, let's look at the New Testament 
and talk about how it uses the word pneuma or pneuma, however you want to pronounce that. The P is kind of silent, just like with psuche. What was that? What do we translate that as? Suke or psuche? Soul, right? Soul. And we found last week that although there's a couple of times that the Bible kind of talks about your soul and your body, Jesus says, you know, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body, uh, but be afraid of those who can destroy, the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. There's a little bit of that kind of language, but for the most part, your psuche, your, your soul, your life, is tied to your physical existence, right? It is your being. It is who you are. Um, in fact, Jesus even talks about laying down his suke, right, his life. He talks about giving up his life. Jesus says, listen, don't be concerned in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't be concerned about your soul, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you put on. Wait a second. Is that your? Yeah, it is. That's your soul. I mean, it's your being. Don't be, don't be concerned about your body or yourself, your, your life, your being. Um, but be willing to lay it down for the sake of Christ. And if you're willing to lay down your soul for the life of, for, for Christ, then you'll be given real life, right? Real existence, real being uh, in the resurrection. Okay, Acts, 17, or Acts 7 and verse 59. Now, now I think that what we'll... Well, I won't lead you. I'll, I'm not, I don't want to lead the witness. Um, Acts 7, 59. Stephen prayed. You may know this already, even without looking up. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, what? Receive. receive my spirit, right? He's about to die, and he says, receive my spirit. Okay, um, Acts 17, verse 16, Paul goes into Athens, and the city is just overflowing with idols, right? I mean, there's idols everywhere, and it says that Paul's spirit was vexed, distressed, provoked. Yeah, so... Again, does that kind of line up with how the Old Testament used the word spirit, ruach? Yeah, right? Uh, you're, you have a vexed spirit. Uh, again, it, it's really a metaphor, isn't it? And it's a beautiful metaphor that, that there's this, this wind. There is this inner, inner thoughts, inner force. Yeah, that's a good word. Inner, inner animation that's driving us that... And we say, my spirit is vexed, my spirit is distraught, my spirit is provoked, um, however we want to say that. But then combining that with what Stephen says, he says that when I die, I want Jesus to receive my spirit. Okay, verse, or number three. And I've just picked out, I really did not mean to throw that. I really just picked out a few of a few verses to try to show you the different nuances of the word. Obviously, in the New Testament, most of the time, pneuma or pneuma is used. What's it talking about? Who's it talking about? The, the Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit. Most of the time, it's talking about the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we're talking about the human spirit. And since that's kind of our, our discussion, that's what we're going to focus on. Um, Romans 1 and verse 9, when Paul preached, he was what? Serving God in his spirit, serving God in his spirit. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? And again, that what you're doing on the outside is driven by what you're doing on the inside. At least it's supposed to be, right? Um, if, if it's not and you're hiding what's really in your spirit, um, then there's a problem going on. But, but Paul's saying from, from the inside, from, from everything that I am, I'm serving God with my inner man. Um, I'm serving God with my spirit. Uh, Romans 12 and verse 11, 
Paul says, do not be, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Paul told the church to be what in spirit? Fervent. Fervent in spirit. What does that mean? Passionate. Yeah, absolutely. Passionate. Energized, right? Boiling over um, in their spirit. Okay? And again, you see, I mean, it's not just saying just sit there and just have a, have a good feeling, right? I mean, it's talking about serving the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, right? Serve Him from the inside out. Be driven to service to God. Not so that it's just merely for show, but from the inside. Be driven to serve the Lord. Again, I, I love the metaphor or the, the picture of a ship with its sails filled with wind being driven to its destination, okay? Um, number five, a person's spirit knows his thoughts. Now, I, I went and I looked this up, and I probably shouldn't even use this verse because that's not a very literal translation. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 11 in the ESV says, For who knows a person's thoughts ex- except the spirit of that person? And that's probably what Paul means here, I think. But um, the King James actually reads better or more literally. Anybody have the King James? Yeah. What does it say? Okay, so that's the, that's the King James? Oh, no. Oh, okay. Anybody have the King James? I think it says the things, the things of a man. Um, uh, and so, and really, there's really no, no word there. It's just the, the things, the, you know, neuter um, implication, the things of a man except the spirit of that man. And I think it means the inner things of that man um, except the spirit of that man. So your spirit knows your, knows your thoughts. Again, tied to your, your inner self. Your invisible self. Um, I think that that's fitting here. Yeah, the things. Okay, verse uh, number six. Paul's spirit was what? Refreshed. His spirit was refreshed by the arrival of his brethren. His spirit was refreshed. Uh, Number seven, uh, kind of similar vein. Not finding Titus, Paul's spirit was not at. It was not at peace. It was not at rest. Right. Um, it was, he was anxious, right? His spirit was anxious. It was driving him to keep searching. I can't stay here. I've got to keep going because uh, my spirit can't rest. I can't rest because I got to find my brother. Number eight, the body, soma, apart from the spirit, the pneuma, is what? It's dead. I think that's incredibly helpful, right? Um, and, and that's true both in a literal sense that a body without breath, right, literal sense, a body without breath is dead, right? We've talked about that before. If you saw somebody lying on the ground and you didn't know whether they were living or dead, one of the first things you would do is check for breath, right? Because without animating breath, a person is dead. But also in a spiritual sense, um, in a metaphorical sense, the, the spirit in us, that inner part of us that's driving us on, that if that's not there, your inner presence, if that's not there, then you're dead, right? And, and um, earlier in Acts 7, we talked about Stephen saying, receive my, my spirit, right? And so the spirit of a person, when they die, is separated from their body, and it goes, according to Stephen anyway, goes to be with Jesus, right? Um, and Jesus receives uh, the spirit of his saints. 
Yeah, so we as a trichotomy are body, soul, and spirit. Okay, that's a, that, and that's a great point. Okay, so are we body, soul, and spirit? Yes, that's that. That's a that's a great you know a great question, um, and I and I think that there's a certain element that 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 might be kind of true. But again, when the Bible talks about soul, it's talking about our whole self. It's not talking about a part of our self. It's talking about our whole self, and that would include our body. So our soma, our body, is a part of our soul. It's part of our living existence, our living being. Um, and, and, you know, again, I was trying to think about ways that we still use that type of language. I heard somebody the other day say, um, I didn't tell that secret. In fact, I didn't tell a, a soul, right? And, and they don't mean I didn't tell the inner person. I, they, I, they mean I didn't, I didn't tell anybody, any being, right? And so, so soul is, is what we are. And then spirit, again, we, we have a tendency to talk about it in a very different way. There is a sense in which... My body dies, and my spirit goes to be with the Lord. Um, and so, again, I, I mentioned a few days ago that, that somebody talked about us being, in fact, they used the word soul. If I was going to use any kind of language like this, I would say spirit. But um, they said that we're just a soul, and, and our body is just a vehicle that we're just driving around. Um, and that's not really who we are. I disagree with that. I think our body is who we are. Um, I think our soul is who we are. I think our spirit is who we are. I think it is who we are, that we, we are this. Um, the way, and we'll talk more about this, because this is one of my favorite passages, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about being without a body as being naked or unclothed. And Paul says that's not what we're wanting. That's not what we're waiting for or longing for, is just to be unclothed. We don't want to be a naked spirit. Okay. Um, now we can be, I think, right? I, I mean, I think that we can be a naked spirit. Um, in fact, our next one, uh, number nine, we'll come back to that idea in just a second. But number nine says, uh, Jesus said that a spirit does not have flesh and bones, right? Um, when Jesus is resurrected and he's saying, I'm, I'm here, right? I'm here. I laid down my life. I gave up my soul for you but I've been resurrected and I'm here. I'm, I'm a living soul. I'm a living being. I'm not, I'm not a spirit. I'm not a ghost, right? They were startled and frightened and, they, that, and thought they had saw, seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Um, so, Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I, and I think what Jesus is saying there, when Jesus says, he says, don't, he, after his resurrection, he's, he tells the women, don't, don't touch me. What he, he's probably, or maybe saying is don't hold on to me because I'm not, I'm not always going to be here. I'm going to ascend, you know, I'm going to go to be with my father. And so don't, don't cling to me. Don't hold on to me. What he wasn't saying is you can't touch me because I'm not physical. Absolutely. He eats food. He, he says, stick your hands in my, in my wounds. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, in, the, in that context, that's a good, that's a great question. Um, in that context, he was saying, because they were, they were like, they, they kind of recognized him and they were touching him. And so I think, I mean, 
there's all different kinds of ways we could take that, but it's probably probably saying, don't hold on to me. Don't cling to me because my I, this isn't going to be the permanent situation. I'm going to ascend to my father. I haven't yet ascended to my father, and that's what's going to happen, so don't, don't hold on to me. So when we see Jesus in his resurrected body, and again, I want to get into this more as we go, um, as we go throughout the, the coming weeks to talk about body and a bodily existence um, and the resurrection, because that's where the hope is. See, I, I, I get a little bit nervous when we talk about the afterlife in a way that, that seems to prefer um, a, a ghostly existence, um, a spirit existence. When Paul specifically says, again, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, that's not what we're longing for. What we're longing for is not to be unclothed, it's to be further clothed. It's to have better body. Right now, this is a temporary body, but when we're resurrected, we'll have a, a permanent dwelling place. This body that we have is corruptible. It's passing away. It's temporary. It's a tent. But, but when Jesus comes back, when he gives us our heavenly body, then we will have a body that's that's forever, that's eternal. 1 Corinthians 15 is, is the perfect explanation of all of that. Um, and so it is possible to exist as a spirit apart from the body. But that's not a desirable, d- desirable existence. That's not, that's not the, the hope of the Christian. The hope of the Christian is not a spirit existence that isn't flesh and bones, you know, like he says, I'm not a ghost because a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. Uh, Our existence is to have a better body. And we say, well, what's that going to be like? Well, I would point you to Jesus, right? I mean, I don't know all of it, but I know that his resurrection, according to Paul, his resurrection stands as the proof of our coming resurrection. He is the firstborn of the resurrection. He's the firstborn of the new creation. And so we look and we say, we say, what's going to happen? What's my hope? What am I looking forward to? It's to be like Jesus. It's to be resurrected with a brand new body. And we say, well, then this body doesn't matter. And, and I think, again, Paul would say, well, that's not really true. Because the way he talks about it and the way the example we see in Jesus is that it's a transformation, right? Uh, it's Jesus' body that's resurrected and transformed. And Paul says that these bodies are going to be transformed into a new body. It's going to be different, but in some way, it's going to utilize this body. Um, And so what I hope is that we recognize that the Bible does talk about um, a non-bodily existence, right? A non-bodily existence. But that that doesn't imply or mean that this body or that the physical world is bad, right? The physical world is good. God said it was good. He created it. He made it. He said it was good. Now, it's it's longing for, we are all longing for Jesus's return. We're we're longing for whatever comes next, right? We're longing for the post-resurrection life. But uh, we trust Jesus, just as Stephen did, with our spirits. That when our body and our spirit is separated, the Lord Jesus receives our spirit and we wait for the resurrection. <laughs> and you say, well, what happens in that in-between time? Well, the Bible just doesn't talk a lot about that. I mean, I know the rich man and Lazarus, so I mean, we got a few little glimpses, but the biblical emphasis is not on that in-between time, in-between the time you die and the time of the resurrection. That's not 
There's, there's just very little that is specifically talking about that. That just doesn't seem to be a big question. The big question is, what's life going to be like in the resurrection? You remember the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? That was one of their biggest... Exactly. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in a resurrection. Um, and so they thought all this was just bonkers, right? They just, I, I don't believe in that. And they even used that story about, okay, so like Jesus, <laughs> you believe in this whole resurrection thing. Okay, let me, I got, I got one for you. I got one for you. Okay. And I'm sure they thought about it. I'm sure they had, you know, tested each other with this and they're like, this is rock solid. Nobody can answer this. Okay. So if there's a woman and she's married to a man and she doesn't have any kids and she dies and the Leverett marriage said that her, the brother of that dead brother needed to marry her and then she married that brother and he died and another brother and he died and you know she's, she's married all these brothers and then in the resurrection who's she gonna be married to ah gotcha you know and they thought man case closed you don't have an answer for that and Jesus says listen you don't understand it that that's not the way the resurrection is going to be so isn't that very different I mean we tend to talk about what's going to happen when I die the Jews and the Apostles tended to talk about what's going to happen in the resurrection. What's going to happen in the resurrection? Everything points to the resurrection. I'm not saying I have all the answers or that the Bible gives us all the answers of what's going to happen in the resurrection or what's life going to be like in the resurrection, but that's, that's the emphasis. I, I'm not scared about what happens when my spirit leaves my body, and neither did Stephen seem to be, right? He, he seemed to be, I've given my soul, I've given my being, my life to Jesus, and I know that when I die, in fact, he could see Jesus from where he was being stoned. And he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And the Lord Jesus is going to receive my spirit, and he's going to protect me, and he's going to take care of me. In fact, I believe it's going to be a paradise state. And then when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a resurrection, right? And it's going to be better than you could possibly imagine, right? Uh, our bodies, our existence, ourselves are going to be better. So let's kind of, some concluding thoughts. Number one, what is your spirit? I would say that metaphorically, metaphorically, it's your, your breath, not your literal breath, but it is your breath that drives you, right? It is your breath that, that animates your behavior, your life. It is your invisible presence. I think presence is a, a key word. It's your invisible presence that animates you. Um, and death occurs when your animating presence, your animating presence, your animating invisible self leaves your body and goes to be with the Lord. That's, that's death. That's the definition of death, is when your animating presence is no longer taking up residence in this self, in this body, in this soma. Okay, now, but the Bible also talks about spirit in other ways that I think helps us to understand even our spirits. So the Bible even talks about other spirits, right? Evil spirits. Somebody asked me about that last week. You know, even in the Old Testament. Um, in fact, and it just baffles me, I just think it's kind of a weird story, but, uh, but, but Saul is sent an evil, malicious um, spirit from the Lord, right? Um, but, but again, I mean, when we think of it as a breath or a wind or something that, that drives or animates um, a presence, then that, that's pretty generic, isn't it? It could be a lot of things. Um, and so a, a vexing spirit could be an evil spirit, right? I mean, it's, it's painful, it's malicious. Um, a vexing, depressed, uh, discouraged, uh, downtrodden spirit. Um, so a spirit 
An evil spirit is an invisible presence that influences someone in a harmful way, right? And I think sometimes the New Testament talks about that in a demonic way, um, possessed by an evil spirit. They knew things that other people didn't know. So they had an evil presence, an invisible evil presence that was in them and it was influencing them in a way that was harming them and others, right? Um, That could be a very generic thing. Again, it could be a demonic thing. Angels are sometimes referred to as spirits. Um, Again, we're talking about non-bodily, non-material, something invisible, um, something that is a presence and that is influencing or animating or driving. Yeah, absolutely. So our emotions and our thoughts, that's one way to talk about those is that that's a part of our, our spirit that drives us. Again, like I said the other day about the monster, you know, Malachi and I always talk about him controlling his monster inside. You know, by that we just mean be self-controlled. But the way the Bible would talk about that is control your spirit, right? Control yourself. Control that inner part of you that's driving you to do things that are not right. And so a spirit is any invisible influence, right? Even a false teacher, 1 John chapter 4, could be talked about as a spirit that needed to be tested, right? Because he is, and the, the words that are coming out of his mouth, again, that's what happens when you speak, right? It's, it's breath. And even his speaking, even his influence needs to be tested. And again, it's, it's, a, it's a way to, I think, you know, rediscover the world and existence that all of the world is driven by invisible forces and influences, you know, some of which are are good and godly, some of which are wholesome and lovely, some of which are are wrong and bad, some of which are mine and I own and they're a part of me, some of which are outside influences which are influencing me. But it's this way of looking at the world to say there's a whole lot more going on here than meets the eye, right? There's influences. And there's, there's wind almost, again, that's a metaphor, but driving us and driving people in various directions. And my spirit, I must control. And I've got to even recognize that at times my spirit is perverse and that I need a change in spirit. Um, a false teacher could be spoken of as a spirit. His spirit must be tested to see if he's telling the truth or not, right? Test, test the spirits, see whether or not they're from God. Okay, which brings us to a good question. What is God's spirit? I mean, doesn't this help us to understand the Holy Spirit? That I think the, the way that understanding that spirit is metaphor of wind or breath is a way to understand the Holy Spirit and understand that for Christians, for the church, in fact, again, The best way to think about the Holy Spirit is to think about your spirit that brings life and animation to your body, right? And the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, says that we, as Christians, are the what of Christ? The body of Christ, right? We're the body of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, in fact, when the Holy Spirit came on the apostles, there was a sound. You remember what the sound was? A rushing wind, right? Wind. The Spirit is being poured out upon the disciples of Jesus. And then the Spirit is being poured out on the people that are baptized into Jesus. And the Spirit is going forth and it is giving life and breath and animation to the church, right? And then as Paul talks about it in in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, he says that the, the, the Spirit of God, it empowers in different manifestations, right? I mean, it empowers 
Just like your body is animated, your finger is animated in one way, and your toe is animated in a different way. And your ear and your nose and your eye, they're all animated by the, the life-giving force that's within you, but they're animated in different ways. They have different gifts and different abilities. And the same is true with the church, that the church is given life in the spirit. And so as the church ties together and binds together and builds itself up together in love, empowered by the Spirit, and every gift and ability empowered by the Spirit is helping the church, the body of Jesus, to build itself up together in love. And doesn't that make sense? That it's, it's completely within the realm of talking about the Spirit's work to say, yes, of course the Spirit of God could work one way in the apostles and a different way in us. We're different parts of the body at a different time for a different purpose. He's the Spirit, the empowering, invisible animating presence of God that is animating and giving life to the church and in equipping and empowering the church to do what the church is supposed to do. And so in that way, we can give credit to the Spirit for every good thing that the church does, right? right. Just as we can give credit to God, to the Holy Spirit for every good thing that we do, we don't have to be talking about speaking in tongues or raising the dead or anything like that. We're saying that, that it is God that empowers me. It is God that empowers the church. Every time the gospel goes and, and a, a person is saved, it is the Spirit of God that's at work. And when you and I comfort each other and encourage each other and build each other up, it is the Spirit of God that's at work. And I don't think we give enough credit to God. I don't think we give enough credit to the Holy Spirit who is the one who is equipping and enlivening and animating the church in a different way than he manifests himself in the Old Testament or in the, well, yeah, in the Old Testament, but also in, in the first century. But that makes perfect sense, right? I mean, all we're saying with that is saying that God is present and he's alive within you because you're a child of God. And in, a, in a, even a richer sense, the spirit of God is alive and present within us because we are the body of Jesus. And he gives us life and he empowers us to build each other up and to reach out into the world and bring people into the kingdom of God. It is God's invisible, divine presence. He is, and we could even get into the, the, the Trinity idea that, that he is a distinct person from the Father and from the Son, but together they are divine. They are God. They are Yahweh. And, and we have life and animation and we do good things, not because of us, but because the Spirit of God empowers and equips and manifests Himself in our lives. Isn't that how we are to worship God? Today, when you say God is a spirit, we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Absolutely. Exactly right. That's We worship God through and in His empowering presence. And, and through our spirits by being engaged. And that's the thing, isn't it? That it's about engaging our inner selves with the inner self of God who's been given to us. And it's a spiritual union. Yeah, absolutely. It's a gift. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a wonderful rest of the week. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit ccmcdermott.org.